Hello and welcome to Too Fit to Be Tied. Where we talk about health from a variety of perspectives. Emotional health. Mental health. Physical health. And spiritual health. My name is Jerome. And I'm your co-host, Constance. All right, so what are you laughing at? Just continue, sorry. Just continue? Yeah, I think I, <laughs> the bourbon just hit me. The bourbon just, uh, should, I, should I take this glass no, away No, no, it's you? okay. I think I'm good. And yeah. I have a coffee sitting here, a water, and a bourbon. Yeah. Are you good? Yeah, you I'm sure? Good. Sorry. Do I'm we good. need to postpone this one? <clears throat> I'm good. I'm ready. Okay. You're going gonna, gonna to have the giggles? The, no. <laughs> the, <laughs> We're talking to a doctor today. I can't be acting like this. Yeah, what's wrong with I you? Don't, I got to hold it together. All right. Yeah, keep it, pull it, pull it together. I am. I'm pulling Professionalism. it Professionalism. Here we go. Okay. We're professional. Professional. Okay. Giggles are done. <laughs> no? All right. Get, one more. Get it out. <laughs> <sighs> okay, I'm ready. Okay. Today, we are talking with... <laughs> I don't know what Oh, my God. And then you snorted. What the... <laughs> Today we're talking to Dr. I've never called him Dr. Javier Gomez. This is the first time I'll be calling him Dr. You know him because his wife works out at your fitness studio. Yes. And um, he is a cardiologist. We were just talking about the heart chakra. Yeah. And how we had to have it cleansed. Well, I had to have mine cleansed. Uh-huh. I don't quite think that Dr. Javier Gomez is going to um, want to talk about heart chakras. He, he may not. And then we're not well, going to ask. I, it's we're not even going to know. Refer to the, the chakra cleaning episode. Right. Anyway, anyhow, Javier is going to speak to us about the heart. And this is yeah. of particular interest to me because, you know, my father died of heart disease. Uh, so I need to know all I need to know about yeah. staying healthy so I could, you know, live to like probably like 95. 95. Okay. Maybe 97. That is an impressive goal. Yeah. 100 seems like a lot, so I'm going to go yeah. 95, 97. See, I don't I don't care so much how long I go. I just want the quality to be there. Oh, no, no. Yeah. I'm going to be you like see what I'm, saying? I'm going to be like bouncing around at 95, yeah. 97. Yeah. Just so we're clear. Yeah, you're going to be like Oh my God, she's still driving, you know. Oh yeah. Crashing her car. Yeah, like people. I'm like running people yeah. off the road. Yeah. Yelling out the window, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be me. Why do they let her drive? Right. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's get him on the air. All right. Hey, Javier, how are you? Hey, Constance, how are you? Doing good. Great? You're here with Jerome. Javier, how's it going? Long time no see. Hey, Jerome, good to hear you, man. How are you? Good. How you doing? Great, great, great. Thank you for doing this with us. We are really excited to have you. We we have not had a doctor on, and I was just telling Jerome, I'm like, oh my god, I've never called, I've never called him doctor before. I feel so professional now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I can never get used to the whole doctor thing, to be honest. Really? You know, like, yeah. When I mean, in the hospital is a little different, but like, uh, I don't know. Even colleagues, everybody, I just prefer being called Javier. I don't know. 
Well, good. That's yeah, how I, we're gonna. That's I, how we're gonna keep it right now. I, some people get so caught up in what you have to address me as doctor. It says. I think it says something about you that you don't require people to call you. Yeah, I've seen that too. I, I had a patient once who was a doctor. I mean, he had he was pretty sick, like barely conscious. The family was there, and I and I said the last name, and the family were like, "No, he is Doctor So and So." And I was like, "Okay, that's fine. I get it." <laughs> but uh, some people get really fixated on that, and it's it, you know, this is why I am. If you don't call me a doctor, then why am I right? I mean, like, I don't feel that way. Well, not just doctor, <laughs> but we're going to just give a short summary. You graduated medical school uh, in Columbia, and yes. you currently uh, work at Cook County Hospital. You are a cardiologist, but you are also the cardio oncology, your head or director of the cardio oncology program and cardiology correct. clinics, yes? Yes, that's correct. Awesome. So I know you and your wife, and we have been out many times and hung out and had many conversations. And I truly, this is, this truly, I believe you guys are an amazing couple and you, I I guess I know like a lot of assholes. (laughs) So when I, when I come across people that are genuinely amazing hearted people, it's really special. And I think that I'd like to start the interview off with asking you about your move to um, the States, because I know that I've spoken to your wife. You guys moved here. She didn't, your wife didn't even speak English and you were going to school here. Is that right? Or you were doing your like um, clinicals? First of all, thank you, Constance. I really, (laughs) you know, uh, your, your words are very kind to me. Uh, So (laughs) thank you very much. You're welcome. I mean that. Um, What happened is I had been dating Monica for about, I don't know, maybe three years at the time. We were like, you know, getting serious and we were thinking about what to do. And I was not thinking about coming to the U.S. at all. Uh, But, um, uh, you know, one of my good friends from medical school, actually, at the time I was working with the Colombian Army, because when I when we finished medical school in Colombia, you have to do a year of what's called mandatory social service. You have to work like for an underserved area or like a rural area or something. And so I did Hmm. my year with the Colombian Army, which was you know, a great experience altogether. But, you know, um, so at the end, they they asked me to stay with them for longer. So I did. And then one of my friends said, you know, I heard that the work hours with the with the where you are, are flexible. And I said, yeah, they are. So you, you think I could, you know, find a job there? And I said, I'm sure you can. I said, why? And she was like, well, we're because I'm I'm in the middle of uh, studying for, you know, making taking some exams to go to the U.S., I was like, oh, that's great for you. You know, good. That was the first sort of introduction that I had to the topic. Then she got the job. And then as she was working with me, we started talking more and more about it. And she was like, you should do it, this and that. And I was like, I don't know, you know, we're like, okay. And she was like, well, what do you want to do in the future? And I said, well, you know, I want to get additional training, internal medicine, perhaps cardiology. At the time, I wasn't sure. And she pointed out something. She said, well, you realize that if you want to get additional training here in Colombia, Number one, you're not going to get paid anything in the process, which could be up to eight years. And number two, you will have to pay, actually. So it's very difficult Mm. to do that and try to form a family and, you know, get on with your life and take care of your stuff. At the time, we we were both working, so we didn't think about it. But then thinking about the future, we're like, huh, so she's got a point. And so then I started looking into it and, uh, you know, I started like, 
you know, checking around what was the process. It was like a lengthy process. It was a complicated process. And so I said, let me try it. Let me try the beginning. I won't tell Monica anything yet. Let me just try it. See if it's, if it, if it doesn't go anywhere, then like whatever. But if it starts getting a little bit more, if I see that it's, you know, like something that is a little bit more serious and likely to happen, then I'll talk to her and see where we are. So I did that, took the first exam. It went well. Um, and so then I, you know, I started talking to Monica. I was like, hey, you know, there's this thing happening. What do you think? And she was like, what are you talking about? I mean, I'm happy here. You know, I have a job. I have my family. I have everybody. This is like, I have no intention of going to the U.S. So I was like, hmm. This is uh, this is tricky, right? Conundrum. Wow. You're in a little yeah. conundrum right here. I was in a little conundrum, so we started talking about it. I mean, we definitely did explore all the options for a while. Uh, you know, we knew. I think this is like <laughs> not to sound romantic, but like we we knew we were in love with each other, so we wanted to be together. So whether it was here or there, we were going to be together. Um, so she was. She started opening up to the possibility, but for her, it was a big change. As you pointed out, she didn't speak English. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a work that she had, if she were to come here, she would have to leave her job. And it was a, for me, I was coming for something in particular for her. It was, a, I think harder. Way well, yeah, harder. she was coming for you. Yeah. 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 Now, how, so I'm, uh, how long did it take you to, I guess, get on the same page? Oof. I would say probably about six months. Uh, if not more actually, but like the process is so long that it gave me some time to, <laughs> to negotiate with her. Um, you know, we, we, we won't, we won't ask you what you had to give in the, yeah. in the negotiation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, those, uh, those, uh, negotiations were like, uh, tough, but, um, you know, Javier, you know, I never, I, I never actually asked you this maybe because your wife was sitting right there, but I guess I'll ask you now with a bunch of people listening. Um, did you ever feel guilty coming home to a wife that, you know, maybe had no support system, no friends, didn't speak the language. Did you ever feel bad thinking like, oh, maybe this wasn't the right move in the beginning? Definitely. Definitely. Did you? Definitely. I felt, uh, I mean, uh, not that it wasn't the right move, just that it wasn't fair for her that it was so hard. Got it. Got it. Uh, so that made it tough. I mean, uh, especially at the beginning because the initial parts of training are the hardest maybe the first year or two and that was the hardest time for her because then when we decided to come like i mean i mean to be honest the whole thing was difficult she was like well if we're going to go to the u.s how about a warm place like i don't know florida or something and then oh my god why did you screw up So I don't know if you know the story, but at the time I, when I told her, like, they offered me a position in Chicago, she actually started crying over the phone. I was here oh. in the U.S. Oh, man. And I was like, you know what? We're not going, like, because this is too much. And then she said, no, no, no. This is like, you know, I'm just crying. because, she, And she tried to, like, uh, uh, play along and just like, no. But she was like, truly, I just don't know anything about Chicago. She Googled it and she was like, like it oh, sounds shitty. It. it just sounds shitty. Yeah. <laughs> She was like, it's so far, because obviously, as Latin Americans, we know the southern part, you know, like, I don't, I mean, I, by southern part, I just mean Florida, you know, uh, <laughs> this is, <laughs> uh, you know, she knew, she was like, how about New York, we had some family, she had some family members in New Jersey, and I was like, okay, that's an option, but it didn't pan out that way, and so she googled Chicago, all she could find was pictures of, like, winter storms and things like that. 
And so it was uh, crazy. Then we said, okay, fine. We started learning a little bit more about the city. She was like, okay, fine. But then our daughter was born. And when we came here, our daughter was uh, six months. So uh, wow. we moved from a place where we had all our family members, all the support, all our friends to coming here where we didn't know anybody. Uh, she didn't speak the language. Uh, by the time she came, I mean, the, the winter was close. So it was a whole, um, and, and, and my, my days were pretty much, I would leave and be at the hospital at six in the morning and I would come back, I don't know, 6 PM, uh, if, if it was a good day and she would just be like exhausted from being the whole day with the kid, I'd be exhausted from being at work, but, uh, but it was tough because she really needed some relief. And so, you know, we were all both, we were both, I think, uh, let's say stretched to our limit. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, we had family come over, help out, you know, it was like, again, the support system was actually helpful. Uh, we didn't have much here, but we started knowing people. So that helped out. And then after a while, we got adjusted, but it was, uh, the beginning was really tough. What made you want to become a doctor in the first place? You know, it was a combination of things. When I graduated from high school and had to figure out what to do, as I said, I knew I wanted to do something that was uh, challenging, difficult, not something simple. When I thought about medicine, I was, uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, interested in, in the unknown parts of, you know, the functioning of the human body and all those things that's very... Uh, uh, it seemed very interesting to me at the time, but in addition to that, for me, I think it was something that I know is going to challenge me and it's not going to only challenge me at the beginning. It's going to keep challenging me every day. Okay. Uh, cause you have to stay updated and in the process you get to actually help people. That was very attractive to me. So why cardiology? Why not, you know, delivering babies or gastroenterologist or, you know, I don't know, ears, nose and throat doctor. Why, why the heart? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Too. I <laughs> love delivering babies, by the way. So, or I, I did back in the day. Wow. We okay. So, uh, but um, but as I progressed in my training, um, I fell in love with inter internal medicine because it's very uh, it covers basically a lot of the physiology of the body, meaning how things work, all the organs, all the you know. Um, I guess, uh, um, hormones and uh, neurotransmitters. I mean, it just kind of is a very thoughtful process. So internal medicine, once you do that, you have only a few options, I mean, not a few options, but when you, when I became an internist and I finished, I realized this is great. It's very broad, but I really want to be more, um, focused on a specific area because I want to really know everything there is to be about a specific part of the body. And I had gotten exposed before, in the, even before that, during medical school, to some great cardiologists. Some of my mentors were cardiologists, so I kind of fell in love with it. And the more I learned here in the U.S., the more I fell in love with it. I, I didn't think that any other subspecialty would make me as excited as this one. So, um, so with your focus on the heart, I'm always curious, what, what new things are we learning about the heart that, that we didn't know I don't know, five, 10, 15 years ago? Oh, wow. That's a great question. So there's, there's actually, oh, wow. I mean, like I could, mm -hmm. I could, I could answer that, that question for a while. <laughs> just so, give us a couple, know, just give us a touch on a few things. Has evolved like crazy. 
just to use the medical term. multiple new fields have been created within cardiology. So you have interventional cardiology, which de- which deals mostly with, um, you know, uh, blocked coronary arteries and stents and things like that. Then we realized that you could do a lot by rearranging the electrical system of the heart. So a new subspecialty came up, which is called electrophysiology. Wow. They deal with the arrhythmias, the electrical system, pacemakers, what we call cardiac resynchronization therapy, which is Cases in which the heart uh, contracts in a way that is not very synchronous. So, you know, it kind of contracts. The, the heart should contract like a like a single unit. Like, a, you know, that's why it makes the sounds like two, 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 two. The chambers contract in a very organized way. Uh, and we yeah. realized a lot of patients didn't have that. And so that led to what we call heart failure. The heart gets weak. It's not squeezing very well. The squeeze is not very strong. It's not pumping the blood. So... What we realize is if you put some wires in the heart and kind of rearrange the electrical system in a more synchronized way, the heart actually gets strong again. Hmm. The newer areas that have evolved most recently are probably uh, cardiac imaging, which is what I do most, advanced cardiac imaging, which is, you know, looking specifically at the heart with CTs that are specifically done that can you can see the heart actually moving in real time. Cardiac MRIs, uh, you know, different types of nuclear testing uh, to detect, you know, um, blockages in the arteries of the heart or infections or things like that. The other part is what we call structural um, cardiology, which is, um, you know, before if you had a, a, you know, a very tight valve in the heart, let's say your aortic valve is tight or your mitral valve is tight or something like that, again, you'd have to have surgery. Nowadays, and this is more recent, maybe from the last 10, 15 years, you can actually replace your valve, put a new valve through mm. your veins and your arteries. You don't have to get surgery. Wow, that's amazing. So, so I mean, the field has expanded in a way that is exponential in the last few decades. And that's why I said there's so many things I could probably, you know, I could talk a full hour about this. <laughs> but I know that the way that you're trained is to treat a lot of, you know, the obvious issues that arise, whether it's heart attack or, you know, artery blockage. But do you ever, do you ever have a patient and you're like, shit, like this could have all just been avoided if X, Y, and Z, you know, if they took care of themselves, if they ate healthier, if they exercised, does your brain ever go like in, into that sort of realm or is it always just fix the problem? No, absolutely. What you say is absolutely true. I think probably, I don't know, probably about 80% of the patients I see, if we made sure this person had, I don't know, better habits, um, I don't know, ate better, uh, you know, just watched a few things, many, many of the issues that they have when they present would have been avoided or Mm -hmm. significantly delayed. I mean, at least. Um, so that is, uh, the problem is I think here in the U S, um, when people don't have any issues, they don't like to hear anybody telling them, don't do this, don't do that. And so that is a great limitation. And when they do have the issues, even then you're like, well, how about you do, you know, just, you know, avoid this bad things. I don't know. Don't smoke, try to exercise a little bit, you know, lose a little weight. And frequently, I'm telling you, because that requires effort, you know, frequently, uh, I think 
people uh, would be like, okay, that's great, but is there a pill I can take? Because you know, <laughs> kind of, it's, it's a much simpler solution. And I think that's what's sold, you know, in the U.S. health system as, you know, don't worry, we can give you a pill for basically anything. This new medications that cost, I swear to God, fifty to $100,000 per year, um, they come up and they say, this decreases your risk of having a heart attack by 50% over a period of, I don't know, you name it, two years. Well, you know what? If you exercise and eat better, this would bring down your risk about 80%. And you could save so, $100,000. Right. <laughs> and exactly. And it's free. But the problem is, because it's free, nobody's interested in advertising it too much because there's no money to be made. Um, mm, right. So then you're fighting against this um, sort of, not going to say misinformation, but lack of information that right. patients have. Um, and uh, again, it always boils down to, you just give me the pill. And not just that, Javier, it's effort. Because I could take this pill and all I have to do is pop it in my mouth. But Absolutely. if I have to watch what I eat and I, got, I have to exercise, like that takes effort. Yes. You work out regularly. Um, yes. Does this... We've uh, never seen it, but we've heard. <laughs> what? He, he looks like he's I mean, in pretty good he, shape. He's I mean, in pretty good shape. I'll give you that. Um, so <laughs> does this affect how you treat your patients? And, and is it different from your, your colleagues? And if so, how? So it definitely, uh, I mean, I definitely have a different, I don't know, I don't know if it's different, but I have a, a a first-hand experience when because I exercise regularly. And what I tell them, I mean, a lot of the patients I see, part of their heart problems or, or closely associated with their heart problems, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's lots of stress, lots of anxiety, lots of uh, concerns. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, because I exercise regularly, I know that the if I was, if I'm able to, get them to do a little bit more physical activity. Um, not only they will decrease their cardiovascular risk, which is ultimately what I want, but they'll also be happier, less stressed. You know, they're going to get a relief from all that tension that they have. Uh, and so I really encourage them. Uh, you know, I really encourage my patients to exercise, even if it's a little bit. I mean, you know, some of them are like, well, I'm so out of shape. Like, it doesn't matter. Just start by, just start by walking. You know, yeah. just move. Just to, around the block one time. Exactly. To start with just that. go around the block today one time, and then maybe tomorrow you'll go twice. And then, you know, we'll keep uh, adjusting it to your capacity. But it's the benefits of it, in my mind, are so great that it's almost like uh, a criminal if we don't, uh, uh, you know, encourage our patients to do that. The problem is also it takes a lot of time. Nowadays, hmm. Yeah, you, you the want the, pill. the health system is, mm -hmm. you know, if you spend 45 minutes talking to a patient about diet and exercise, uh, for them, that's a waste of time. So that you won't get much reimbursement for that. You know, you get mm -hmm. reimbursed. You see a patient in 15 minutes, you got to get the next one in. I'm a little shielded from that because I work in a public hospital, but private practice is just like that, unfortunately. So it takes a lot of effort. Uh, but I do. I definitely do. I think my colleagues advise a lot of physical activity as well and a lot of, um, you know, um, healthy diet uh, because we just know that it's extremely beneficial. But in my case, I think I might push it a little bit more because I've seen, I mean, I, I've seen all sorts of benefits. For, for because you have, you have firsthand experience with it. 
Exactly. So yeah, yeah. Talk, talk a little bit more about um, the, the effect of stress on the heart. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, the, like, you know, we talk, we talk a lot about emotional stress, you know, in our yes. podcast. So, you know, almost, I almost want to know, I don't know, I know you can't quantify this, but would emotional stress be worse than some of the foods that we eat? Or would watching our diet be more beneficial than worrying about emotional stress? Like, is there something that is more important than the other? If we so had to pick. Is a, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think it's a little bit difficult to answer precisely because I think, you know, as you pointed out, quantification is a little hard. Yep. We know for a fact that many foods, let's say, uh, uh, you know, can create a what we call sort of an inflammatory state in the body. You know, I mean, they release a lot of substances that uh, promote inflammation, which is not good. You know, inflammation can, is associated with the uh, development of what we call um, atherosclerotic disease, which is basically plaque in the arteries, and then which potentially can lead to blockages. Can you give and us so, examples of what what kinds of foods? Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, I think uh, in general, um, uh, processed foods are really probably at the top. You know, highly processed canned foods. Um, are probably at the top. Um, uh, other ones are, and because those are also heavy on saturated fats, and the, the, that is uh, a, a big part of the problem. And, but the other part of this is probably uh, the sugars, especially refined sugars, because they generate very high peaks of uh, elevated blood sugar, very high peaks of insulin that induces sort of the body becomes a little resistant to the insulin because, oh, it's these peaks are so high that maybe I, I shouldn't worry too much about them. So the body becomes a little resistant and that can lead to diabetes. And that is probably the biggest risk factor in terms of cardiovascular um, risk being diabetic. But refined sugars, processed foods, and definitely uh, some types of meat, red meat, if in excess, definitely. The foods with less, with the least amount of problems are actually quite beneficial are everything that's plant-based. So that is where all the, uh, you know, plant-based diet recommendations are coming from. Heavy on salads, fruits, and things like this. Minimizing, you know, processed food probably, if none, that would be better. Um, where do, and, where uh, exactly does alcohol <laughs> lie on the spectrum? Well, alcohol, you know, I always like to stick to the, uh, my, my official answer to that is going to be, there is data to suggest that one to two glasses of red wine are uh, beneficial in terms of cardiovascular risk. Now, uh, alcohol, the problem is many alcohols are, are, are heavy in sugar, uh, uh, excess of alcohol is a problem. There's definitely, there's something called alcohol-induced cardiomyopathy. That means if you drink too much, like by, by, by too much, I mean a lot. That is, this is like daily consumption of more than up to 100 grams of alcohol, which is like more than, I don't know, eight to 10 beers every day or something like that. Oh, but on a good, daily we're basis good. for years, I mean, I mean, obviously everybody is different, so there's different thresholds. But if you have a very heavy consumption of alcohol, it'll definitely weaken your heart. Mm. Okay. Okay. So there is like 
in moderation and certain types of alcohol are actually beneficial or believed to be, or are, let me just put it this way, associated with uh, uh, reduced cardiovascular risk, but uh, definitely alcohol in excess can be potentially uh, negative to the heart. Now, what is excess is was, was where it gets a little blurry. Yeah, definitely gets okay. blurry. Yeah, so, well, I mean, Const- <laughs> so Constance, you're okay. You're not, just as long as you keep it I mean, under yeah, 10 Const- beers a day, I, I think is okay. what it is. You're, you're <laughs> below the threshold. Don't yeah, worry. yeah, so, except so for that one time. Inflammation plays a part in uh, plaque in the heart, in the arteries. Yes. Um, can you yes. talk uh, about inflammation? Because I think a lot of people feel like inflammation is just like, like a sore shoulder or, or, or swollen joint. Yeah, okay, that's absolutely right. This, this is a common misconception because that's what we learn, right? You hit yourself, you know, in the, I don't know, in the arm, the arm gets red, so it's kind of inflamed, and that's it. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's not that simple because the body, so let me give you an example just to see if we can, like, we were talking about stress, right? And when right. we're stressed, um, the body or the humans have evolved uh, to respond to different situations in different ways. So, you know, if you feel, let's say like if, you're, if your life is at risk, for example, you get into that fight or flight kind of uh, state mm-hmm. um, and there's definitely a lot of substances that the body releases, which produce a lot of stress, but that also helps you, uh, uh, you know, it gives you the, the agility, the strength, the speed at the time to do whatever you need to do to survive that moment. What is the problem nowadays that, you know, the body is designed or we evolved to address situations like that occasionally, right? I don't know when you encounter a, a bear or whatever it is, but we're, the body is not the same. Like a toxic, to like level. a toxic ex-husband. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Those type of scenarios that you get it. Exactly. Got it. Okay. We got so it. The, the body or humans, we're not designed to deal with that type of stress chronically or in a long term, right? Because when that happens, all these substances that are supposed to be there briefly and then go away so that the, the body gets back into his, its, let's say, homeostasis, then they're there constantly. They're there constantly. And so that leads to, and that means adrenaline, noradrenaline, and several cortisol, many other hormones that are actually pro-inflammatory. And then that means that your body, you know, is dealing with this constant state of sort of inflammation, stress, tension. And that actually produces several, uh, let's say, reactions. One of them being, uh, you know, in inflammation in the body or pro-inflammatory substances circulating consistently or constantly in terms of symptoms is a lot of stuff that leads to chronic headaches that leads to back pain pain in several joints people actually get chest pain from this it's not from a blockage in the artery but they feel chest pain constantly because Mm. of this chronic stress and in extreme cases we have now a diagnosis in in cardiology which is called stress-induced cardiomyopathy or more let's say colloquially broken heart syndrome because mm. there is we know for a fact that when people are faced with a very very stressful situation and probably on the background of some chronic stress or anxiety or whatever uh, this has an immediate effect on the heart it's, it's not exactly understood how but it's almost as if the person had had a very large heart attack 
Wow. So the good news about this is it recovers uh, when, you know, as long as the person sort of, uh, you know, is treated. And in general, people do survive. This is not something that's fatal uh, frequently at all. But, 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 but the good news is it does recover once the person is, you know, treated and, and feeling better. Can you die? I, I, this is my big epic question. Can you, I've been dying to ask this. Can you die of a broken heart? So uh, let's say theoretically speaking, you could. It would be highly unlikely, but you could. And um, because when you, when you develop this, let's say the broken heart, um, uh, you, you could get, number one, very severe heart failure. Number two, you could get arrhythmias. So if you're not in a place that can deal with those things, those could be potentially fatal, but it's unusual, very unusual, I would say. So you're saying the stress from that particular situation is what could just kill, could kill you? It could, yeah. Because you hear about all these couples. Well, not, not a lot, but you hear well, about well, couples. Yeah. Well, they've been married for a long time, and one passes away, and then shortly... Uh, after. afterward, the, the other one passes away. Yeah, so I don't know. In those cases, and we've all heard those cases, um, you know, it's hard to tease out whether this is happening for me. Because, you know, to diagnose broken heart syndrome, actually, you have to document that the heart has gotten significantly weak. And there's a specific pattern to that weakness that you're like, oh, this is it. If you see it, you know that it is. Um, so versus just people get, I don't know, you know, they already have some other uh, medical issues in the background and, you know, emotionally they feel very distraught. And then um, the other medical problems just kind of, you know, can uh, progress much quicker when somebody's very depressed and, you know, in a situation like mm. this. But but the truth is it could be. It definitely could be because it's well known. I've seen people develop this from many different things, not just a significant other passing away or breaking up a relationship, but people getting like, I don't know, um, people getting arrested. I've seen it several times. And that's definitely a stressful situation. Uh, people losing a lot of money in the stock market or things like that. Just being in an argument with a family member, like a very strong argument with a family member. So there are several things that can cause this. Wow, that I mean, that's amazing. I mean, and, and I guess we know with other underlying conditions, that could be the thing that would push you over the edge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so how do we have uh, one last question? I don't know if you can answer this or not, but what is your I don't know craziest or funniest experience as a doctor? It doesn't have to be funny. Or, epic. Like, wow. Epic, yeah, epic. Epic. Epic story. Wow. Uh, let me think about it. I mean, there's there's plenty of crazy stories. Uh, um, but there's a story I remember very well because it's uh, something that uh, I, I have now ingrained in my mind, which is I, I saw a, a young person, a young uh, uh, girl here, actually. Uh, she presented with some – she had no medical problems. She was uh, – 27 maybe I was called to see the patient um, and before I could get there like within a few minutes the patient actually had a, a cardiac arrest we were resus she was resuscitated we saw the patient 
Um, and we did a test. So we took her to what we call the cath lab, which is where you go and see the arteries. You know, you inject some special dye mm-hmm. in, in, in the heart and you see the arteries to see if they're blocked. And her arteries didn't have any like plaque on them, but one of them had uh, closed down completely, which, which is what we call a coronary spasm, like a spasm of the, of the artery. And so that was very unusual. We were like, oh, okay, uh, you know, she got some medications to open them up. She got better. You know, she improved, which I was very grateful for. But we didn't know why this happened. And so after a lot of testing, we couldn't tease it out. She felt great. We gave her the medication. She went home. She was doing okay. And then about a year later, she came back with the exact same story. Um, and now this time, not only one of her arteries, but all of them closed down. Wow. So she was really, really sick. She was really, really sick. And I was like really um, worried. I was really distressed about this because, I mean, we were able to stabilize her. And I mean, um, we did a lot of stuff for her. She got better. She required like a breathing machine. She required machines to pump the blood from her heart because it was so weak. But then she got better, better, better. And then like after a lot of extensive, extensive evaluation, we were able to figure out actually what she had was that she was allergic. She had gotten a cat the first time and the second time they had brought her another pet and she had an allergic reaction to those animals that the manifestation of the allergy was, yeah, she had a little bit of, say, sniffles, but then at the same time, she developed this very crazy closing of all the arteries of her heart. Wow. That and is, so, wow. yeah, once we found out that that was, and it took like a long time because it's extremely rare. Uh, but once we found out she was put on a bunch of, I mean, some anti-allergic medication and things like that, and then she was fine. She actually, I, you know, she was, uh, I saw her for a while. I became very good friends with her family. Uh, they sent me a lot of cards and mm-hmm. uh, they were from Mexico. Then she got married over here. They invited me to the wedding. I wow. couldn't attend. But, uh, but I was very grateful that she did fine after that because I swear to God, I thought she was going to die that night. And I was like, I couldn't deal with it. I was like, she's 27. You know, she oh cannot gosh. die for this. And then I was very grateful when she made it. Uh, we did a lot of stuff. Uh, but I was even more grateful that we were able to tease out exactly what it was. So the whole story was just, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's, a, that's pretty amazing. My God. Now do you ask everyone if they have a cat? Like, Hey, I'd be like, <laughs> do like, you have a cat? Do you have a cat? I'm like, yeah. Okay. You know, uh, <laughs> right. Get rid of them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Wow. Thank you. We learned, not yeah. only did we go from like, we learned a lot about Javier and his relationship and yeah. moving to the U S but, how he became a doctor and some of the stuff that you've been through. So that's, thank I'm, you. Yeah, that's amazing. And I'm I'm glad you guys decided to come to Chicago. I mean, you you and Monica are great people. You are amazing family. And so I'm glad you guys decided to come to Chicago or the Chicago area. And um, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah no, no. We, we're thanks. happy we made it to Chicago because we got to meet you know both of you guys, and that's you know that's that's. Uh, that's great for us. That's been, you know, knowing you guys, Monica loves, you know, going to exercise with you, Constance. I love meeting you guys. And I'm actually very grateful that you invited me to talk today. Thank you, Javier. And fuck Florida. <laughs> <laughs> you make sure you tell Monica that, okay? 
No, no. Nowadays, we know better. So I told Monica the other day, so, you know, if it ever came down to moving, would you want to go to Florida? And she's like, no, screw Florida. I oh, my to- God. No. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. That is amazing. Well, thank you again, and uh, we will catch up very soon. All right, awesome. Thank you, thank Javier. You, All right. Okay. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. Wow. We always learn so much, but, like, yeah. this was, whew. Yeah, that was, that was a lot. I mean, you know, and interestingly, I, you know, we we had this question prepared ahead of it ahead of time. Um, can you die of a broken heart? You I know, know, and he just touched on it himself. And he touched on it himself, and I and I kind of thought, huh, is this kind of a weird question to ask a medical doctor? Because that kind of, I don't know, a lot of times seems more in the realm of wooey? what's that? Like wooey. Like what? Wooey. Oh, wooey. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, like the kinda... spir- spiritual people. But, you know, it's, it's just a different lane. And I, I thought maybe it would just be sort of out of bounds for a medical doctor. But he, he, he touched on it himself. Wow. You know, I've always wanted to be, it sounds kind of creepy and weird. I've always wanted to be in a relationship where if the person, <laughs> it sounds so weird, if the person died, I'd be like devastated. Is that, is that odd? Is that an odd goal? You being devastated. Not because I'm dependent and I can't survive. No, no. I mean, you, you being devastated. It's like, you know, when when somebody dies that you love, you should be, you should hurt. You should feel that. And there's going to be some hurt there because you love that person. It's the flip side of that coin, you know. So you, just like, you've, you know, you've talked to people, or, I don't know, or I've talked to people, and a loved one I shouldn't say loved one, a family member passed away. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry you lost your brother. It's like, well, I, I we weren't close. Yeah, he sucked anyways. Yeah, and and so they don't feel it because they weren't close to that person. Mm-hmm. They didn't really love that person, you know? Right. And so what you're saying by being devastated when that person yes. passes away is that that just shows how much you loved and cared for that person, right? you know? I mean, you know, because I, I don't know, my parents have, you know, passed away. And I remember at one point thinking, man, this just hurts so bad. And it's like, well, it hurts because you love that person. Right. How many years in between from your, you know, mom and dad? Oh, 10 years. Oh, 10 years. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't immediate. Yeah. Now, now my mom, because of what you're saying, like if, if they passed Yeah, if both, you said it was within two years, I would have been like, boom, see? <laughs> It's exactly no. what I'm saying. Well, you know, my dad passed away first, and my mom was just well, super she, fucking strong. I well, mean, she's she like— she had to do it for you guys. If it weren't for you guys, maybe there would have been a different she, situation. You, you know what? That's that's an interesting point, you know, because, you know, grand you know grandkids are there mm-hmm. already, you know, and— There's and a reason to, yeah, to continue go and yeah, go on yeah. and, you know, that, be strong. That's, that's an interesting point. Yeah. Maybe that's why you hear about all these older— this older generation that yeah. they pass and like their significant other passes like literally like a couple weeks months. or yeah. months within, you yeah. know? Broken heart syndrome. You know, <laughs> with, with other underlying, you know, um, issues like Dr. Gomez was saying. I'm going to call him Dr. You're Gomez. You're going to call him doctor from when, when we see him, we should just call him doc. Hey, doc. He'd be like, he'd, he'd probably he'd be like, was like you know what? It. He'd be like, yeah, stop it. Cut that yeah. shit out. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he's, but, he, but he's just... I can't talk to my doctor like that. 
About what, like broken? No, person? just like he's just a cool dude. Like oh, he's yeah. just a normal guy. Oh yeah, who yeah. doesn't need to be called doctor? He doesn't care about that. He just yeah. genuinely wants to help people. Right, and and I like I said earlier, there's something cool about that there where is. somebody's like, well, you don't, you don't have to call me. He knows who he is. It's so true. he doesn't need you to address him. It's so true. So yeah, I, I have I have mad respect for that. I do too. That was really um, fun. That was fun. Yeah. All right. So that's right. that's it. That's it for this episode. We're done. So that's it for Too Fit to Be Tied. I'm Jerome. I'm Constance. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Let's see how smoothly (laughs) that goes when we do it right.